You're listening to the Moms Unscripted Podcast. I would love for you to stand next to me, but you cannot lick my arm. So, you are an overachiever in your sex life. I mean, life. I could teach a class on it. Well, and really, I just deflect. If there's man topics, I'm like, yeah, that's not what we do here. Hey, friends. Today, we're asking a question. And that question is, what are we serving that's no longer serving us? What are the things that we're spending a lot of time thinking about or doing that aren't offering us anything productive in return? And this is particularly relevant as many of us have experienced an increase in coping mechanisms during the past year, which is why we're going to talk about one topic in particular that's getting all kinds of increased attention, and that is mom wine culture. The mama needs a drink memes and Etsy products proclaiming women are surviving motherhood one bottle at a time. And the reason we felt like this is important to talk about is because in a study done by the Center for Public Health this year, 79% of women reported a significant increase in the amount of alcohol they consume in a week compared to the previous year. Now, I want to be really clear. This episode isn't a statement on whether or not it's right or wrong to drink. Our primary focus today is to simply invite all of us to consider our relationship with alcohol and to offer some conversation about the ways that we choose to practice self-care. So to kick things off, we're inviting Emily Paulson to join us and share her story. Emily is the founder of the Sober Mom Squad. She's also a writer, speaker, and has appeared on media outlets, including The Doctors and Today Parents. And she's also the author of Highlight Real, Finding Honesty and Recovery Beyond the Filtered Life. Emily, we are thrilled to get to talk with you today. And and we want to start by talking about mommy wine culture. And it's really interesting that it's become this form of self-care in modern motherhood. And so I'm curious, what's your opinion on it? And what are you seeing specifically related to this past year in COVID? Yeah. So I think mommy wine culture started as a very kind of like a fun coming together, like, uh, you know, we're, we're in solidarity together and let's, you know, let loose with a glass of wine. I think that's, you know, the the origins of it is probably pretty benign. Um, but unfortunately what it's kind of turned into is this idea that you need alcohol to be a parent. And, you know, it's the funny mugs, like this might be wine. And, uh, you know, I whine because my kids whine, all, all these funny things that were like, Oh, haha, that's so funny. But we don't make jokes about any other addictive drugs. So it sort of, num- mm-hmm. it, it dumbs down the danger mm-hmm. of it. Um, and I always like to preface this to say, like, I'm not anti-drinking, uh, you know, but that's not my MO at all. I don't think it should be illegal. I think you should be able to drink if you want to. But I also think um, that we just need to reframe what we're telling other moms about it. And specifically, we're seeing during COVID, um, there's been a huge increase in young women who um, are being diagnosed with liver disease. Um, we've seen an increase in addiction rates. Um, and so, so we're kind of seeing the effects of what happens when you do kind of view alcohol or, you know, your nightly glass of wine is this very benign thing. You're using it to cope. And then when your stress level goes up, the drinking goes up too. So it's, we've kind of seen the, uh, the pandemic coming out of the pandemic with these new, um, the new data that's coming out with, with, uh, alcohol use. Disorder. Okay. Right. That's fascinating about liver disease, yeah. especially in young women. Mm-hmm. Crazy. So I'm curious, yeah. this is actually a journey that you have experienced firsthand yourself. So will you tell us a little bit about your journey towards sobriety? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I can I can look back and see how alcohol has played a part in in my life in in some, you know, not so good ways. Um, but it wasn't until really I became a mom that my drinking really increased. 
And I was at this point for a really long time where I questioned it. Um, several years where, where I questioned, gosh, is this good for me? I know, or I know it's not good for me. I don't feel good, but is it okay? Am I drinking too much? I would do the Google searches. You know, am I an alcoholic? Um, I would take breaks. I would, um, you know, take a week off here and there. I would try setting rules around it. I'm only going to drink on the weekend. I'm only going to drink when friends are in town, um, or I'm going to stop at two drinks. Um, and I would consistently fail. And, and so I, I really got trapped in this, this idea of this black and white thinking that you either have a problem or you don't. And I didn't feel like I fit the mold of, um, gosh, I wasn't blacking out. You know, I wasn't, I hadn't had any consequences, hadn't had a DUI, nothing had happened until those things started happening. And so, you know, I did, I, I, I ended up getting a DUI. Um, I started having a lot of problems in my marriage and in my job, um, my health, um, I started having like elevated liver, liver enzymes, and yet I was still unable to stop, even when those things happened. And though I told myself for a long time, you know, nothing that's happened yet, even when it did, then I couldn't stop. And it was just finally where I had to say, I can see where this is going. Um, and it was just getting worse and worse. And, and it was, it was not going to get any better. And so I finally mm. just had to say, you know, if I can't, if I can't just have one, um, I need to have none. And, um, and I, I, I stopped, I went to AA, I, I sought therapy. Um, I read books, I threw everything at it. Um, just so I could, I could make sure that this wasn't going to be an issue for me anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know Emily, um, so you are part of a, a duo that started Sober Mom Squad, and I, and your tagline is for any mom questioning their relationship with alcohol. And what I love about that is what you just talked about, how I think so many of us or so many people we know maybe are, are still have this conversation framed in, do I have a problem or how much is too much? And this this simple idea of, hey, are you just questioning this relationship and if mm-hmm. it's healthy for you or not is so much more accessible. And I think just, I think that really gets down to it. So could you talk a little bit about what does it mean to question your relationship with alcohol or, you know, what's the spectrum that you see women on and how you came to that as the concept that really grabbed women's attention? Yeah, absolutely. Because I, I agree there's, you know, alcohol is an addictive substance, you know, it's addictive in humans. And so, so this idea that you're either, you're either born with it or you're not, or, or somehow like it, it's in your blood or you're not like, there's so much research around it. And, and there's no blood test you can take to know if you're going to be a person who is afflicted with addiction or not, but with enough of an addictive substance, eventually any person can get addicted to it. So for me, it, it's so much about education and that, again, I had that really long window of time where I was questioning it, but everything around me was telling me that it was okay. Like there was drinking everywhere. There's drinking at play dates. There's drinking at yoga. There's cans of wine at the checkout at, at the drugstore. Um, it's just so normalized and there's not information out there. I didn't realize that wine increased anxiety. I thought it helped me relax. You know, I didn't realize wine increased cancer risk. Um, I thought it was, I thought red wine was good for you. You know, all those things that we hear that we believe. So I I think for me, just having a safe space, having a place to ask those questions like, Hey, is this what it looks like for you and not feel alone? Because I didn't realize there were so many people like me until after I made the choice to stop. 
And then I'm like, oh, there's all these people who also had these same questions who also question their use and also didn't really necessarily feel like they fit the mold or they 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 were ready to go to AA or, or whatever. You know, it's like they hadn't hit that place yet that you can you can choose to stop or choose to question it before you hit this proverbial rock bottom because it mm. is a really big gray area. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious about um, this idea of deciding to stop drinking because what I've heard from a lot of my friends is that they have this fear that if they stop drinking, it's going to be really awkward around their friends who are still drinking or they're going to feel uncomfortable because when we stop drinking, it makes other people uncomfortable about their own habits. And so how have you navigated that and just like the practicalities of friendship and relationship and navigating get togethers with family and friends? What does that look like for you? Yeah. So the first thing I always say to people when they're like, how do, how do I tell people that I don't want to drink anymore? Or is that, you know, no is a complete sentence. So it can be as simple as you're going to a barbecue and you just don't want to drink at the barbecue. Just, just don't drink at that barbecue. Like you never have to make this full decision of today. I'm never drinking for the rest of my life. But when you are asking yourself those questions um, and you are like, gosh, is this good for me? Am I drinking too much? You know, it doesn't make me feel good. It's probably at the very least not serving you. And it's, so it's probably it's probably worth looking into a little bit. And so letting other people make that decision for you probably isn't in your best interest. And so that's the first thing I say is no is a complete sentence. You know, if you need to go somewhere, if you need to bring um, non-alcoholic beverages with you, you know, something fun that you want to drink. So if you have something in your hand, people probably aren't going to bug you. Um, And then if people do question it, it, it either comes from a place of just, either not understanding or also kind of feeling that way too. Like most people can understand that hangovers aren't fun. And so sometimes it's a place of curiosity and sometimes it says more about their own, their own use than maybe what you're stopping or cutting back says about them. Um, so there's definitely, there's a little bit of awkwardness at first, I will say just, um, and, and it's not necessarily in a judgmental way, but it's just, I would approach it with curiosity. Um, And it's funny, this is kind of a tangent, but you know, it's funny how um, we're so worried about what other people think about our drinking. And yet at the same time, you know, if you go on a cleanse or if you're allergic Mm -hmm. or if you're giving Mm -hmm. up gluten or, you know, Mm -hmm. you've got to get up early to go to a class or something, nobody ever questions, you know, nobody, you're never never eating gluten again, you know, you're never drinking milk again. It's just like, oh, that makes you feel better. Okay. There's so much more support around it. And I think also that's part of the mommy wine culture too, where we just assume everyone has to drink everywhere. Um, but, you know, I will say now, and again, this is four and a half, five years later, it's not even an issue. I go anywhere and everywhere with people who drink or don't, and I don't, and it's, and it's not an issue. So that mm-hmm. does go away. Um, but ultimately, you know, people get over it. People are so much worried about what they're doing and what you're doing. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) so just do what feels right for you. Um, And again, if you are questioning it, you know, it's it's worth exploring. I think it's interesting that you say that there aren't any jokes to other um, uh, things that are bad for us, you know, I I don't know, heroin (laughs) versus, you know, alcohol, because it is such a a social thing. If there's someone listening and they are realizing they're drinking too much, that it's it's now not just to relax, but uh, and I didn't know that 
alcohol causes more anxiety than it does relaxing because I've heard that more than anything. I just take a glass, drink a glass before bed. You know, it helps me relax. Um, that's interesting to know. Um, wh- what's a good starting point for her? Where does she start to make changes in her life? Yeah. So the first thing I say to anybody is, is first to tell yourself it's not your fault for questioning the use of an addictive substance. Um, and it's not your fault if you become addicted to an addictive substance. It's meant, it's, that's what it's meant to do. It's, you know, the thing it's meant to do, it's been done and it's not your fault. Um, and then I would say, you know, look at the reasons you're drinking. Um, you know, look at, look at how you feel. And, and a lot of times it's not the drink, it's the feeling. Um, you know, if you sit down for dinner and you're like, Hmm, you know, some white wine would taste really good. That's a whole different conversation than, um, I cannot wait to get away from my kids. How quick can I drink this? Right. Or is it five o'clock yet? Um, so there's always, there's always another way to fill the need again, always. So ask what the feeling is like, am I feeling stressed out? Okay. How can I deal with that? Maybe I can go for a run. I can go on the trampoline with the kids. I can go for a walk. I, you know, am I thirsty? I can drink one of mm. the other million things that are non-alcoholic mm-hmm. and not carcinogenic, right? Um, or am I overwhelmed? Am I tired of the noise? Do I need to put some headphones on? Like, like there is a way to deal with any feeling that you're drinking over. And so I think that's a great place to start because if you find that you can find alternatives, that's awesome. Then you, then you realize that you, you can just easily find another way to meet that need. And if you can't, that then you know that's mm-hmm. a good time to then say maybe I need to seek a little help maybe you need to talk to somebody talk to a friend talk to a therapist um, you know because it it may be it may be more difficult than just trying to tackle on your own mm-hmm. yeah. and even in those statements of um, we just have to be super careful what we say in front of our kids right so if they do hear you know I'm stressed mommy needs a little wine that mm-hmm. that's setting those little seeds right that that's maybe how they would handle stress as they got older so now involving our kids how do we how do we teach them how to relate to alcohol in a healthy way well so i would say that even the frame of that question is you know you can't teach healthful use of something that's not healthy, right? Mm -hmm. So I don't think the goal should necessarily be like, how do we get kids to grow up with a good relationship with alcohol? I think for ourselves, we have to realize that alcohol is a choice and it's not some required passage of adulthood. Like it's a choice that our kids can make, but they just need the information. And it's super awkward to even, even knowing this and knowing like knowing the research behind it and having studied it, that preschool and kindergarten is the age when you should start talking to kids about alcohol. Mm -hmm. still seems like so young to me, but there's so much research around it and that they, they can form their own, um, they they can form their own conclusions about it. And the reason that I think it's an uncomfortable conversation, and I know it would have been for me, you know, my kids were, my oldest was 11 when I, when I stopped drinking. So we, we had to have the conversation, um, because it's hard to have a conversation with a kid and tell them, Hey, this is a substance that's legal, but you know, it's not necessarily good for you. Um, it can cause you to not be able to drive a car. It can, mm-hmm. you know, it can, um, kill your brain cells. It can do all these things. 
and still yet explain why you drink it and why you have it at all the birthday parties and why you have it here and why you have it there. And again, not that you have to have a dry household or can't drink in front of your kids. You totally Mm -hmm. can. Mm -hmm. But I think you also have to show them that, hey, here's healthy healthy ways to cope with things. Um, I once in a while have a glass of wine with my friends. Also, doesn't mean you ever have to, right? I, I think there's there's just, it's very nuanced. But, you know, I've talked to so many people who are like, gosh, I can't imagine not having a drink with my kid at his 21st birthday. And I just think, you know, that's that's where the conversation needs to happen. Sure, because, sure. Because we don't think like, oh, I can't wait till I can have a smoke with my kids when they're older. Like that ship has sailed, right? Around cigarettes. Mm-hmm. And I think we just need more education around alcohol, really the informed consent. Um, that it's not something that they ever have to do. It's their choice, but they need the information to make that choice. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I would assume that that conversation with your kids is probably a hard one, especially if they've oh. seen some of the side effects. And I'm yeah. a big proponent that your spouse is your biggest champion. And so I'm very curious. It, it's got to be embarrassing to talk to your kids about it. I would assume that it's a whole nother level to admit to your significant other that there might be a problem. So yeah. what do you have any tips for how do you even start that conversation in, in a safe space? Yeah, you know, I think in a family, um, there can be a lot of things going on in a family. There can be there can be enabling that goes on, you know, there can be I, I know for my husband where he, he definitely saw my drinking and thought I drank a lot, yet also knew that I held it all together. I mean, I had five kids, I had a job, I you know, I seemed to have it all together. And so he was kind of able to rationalize it in his mind. But yet when I did bring it up, like, Hey, I think I'm going to stop drinking. He was very supportive of it. Um, with kids, you know, it's amazing how, how really understanding they are and they have such great questions and they see more than you think they see. When I had the conversation with my kids and my two older were nine and 11 at the time, it was really a forced conversation. I, I hoped to avoid the conversation. I really did. Um, but I had a breathalyzer put in my car because I'd had a DUI. And I said, you know, hey, this is what happened. This is my consequence. And and then all their questions were just, uh, I mean, they were so confronting. Um, but it also really helped me realize like, hey, I can be talking about this stuff. Like they, they are so much more they know so much more than I think they know. And it's really important that they started asking things like, you know, gosh, why do restaurants serve alcohol if you have to drive home? And, and I was like, wow, never thought of that before. I mean, there's, they really have such great questions and it really opened a dialogue in our family, especially now having a 16 year old who, who knows that, Hey, this is what has happened. This is what happened to my mom. Um, and I have that information and I know that going forward and so as hard as it is to talk about it first, it creates such, it, it creates such a great like environment of communication mm-hmm. um, that mm-hmm. we can really talk about anything. And it's like no big deal anymore. Yeah. I feel like if you can talk about alcohol, you can talk about sex, drugs, yeah, right. all, all those other things. things. You've already set the foundation, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious. Yeah. And again, they have to draw their own conclusions. Yeah. They're going gonna- right. to. They're going to do what they're going to do. Um, and, you know, and we, we put our, uh, we can do, do the best we can, but I think, I think just by giving them the information and, and showing them what can happen, um, 
I don't know. It, it's like teaching a kid how to drive a car versus just letting them learn by watching you. Like you mm-hmm. just have to have the mm-hmm. conversation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it's such a gift to give that to your kids, like that honesty, that open dialogue, that mm-hmm. letting them know that our mistakes don't define us. It's so important. Mm-hmm. I'm curious yeah. if there have been any other gifts of sobriety that you've seen or experienced. Oh, I mean, so many. Uh, and honestly, the most, um, I feel like the most rewarding things have been the things that I didn't know I was missing. Um, like, like again, that, that five o'clock, you know, getting the edge off at five o'clock. Right. And not realizing once I stopped doing that, that, um, you know, I kind of liked the edges. Like I kind of liked the conversations that the kids had. And sometimes they said really funny things. And, and I really liked cuddling on the couch and watching the movie with them rather than just kind of zoning out. Um, and I really liked spending time with them instead of just kind of escaping the problems that I thought I had or the difficulties that I thought I had. Mm-hmm. Um, I also realized, you know, I drank a lot for anxiety and I realized once I stopped drinking that the anxiety decreased, um, you know, I had, it, it kind of creates a need for itself when you use it for anxiety. Um, and I found that I really wasn't that much of an anxious person. Um, and I also you know, I wasn't like that nervous in crowds, um, things that I thought I needed it for. I I think it just really helped me be who I'm supposed to be without, without needing Mm -hmm. a substance to make me a certain way and like fit into Mm -hmm. certain situations. Um, and it also made me think outside the box instead of just going the status quo of happy hour and, you know, whatever play dates and wine. Um, I've had to really kind of think outside of the box of, of activities that don't include alcohol. And really you can do anything without alcohol. Like it's not, it's not required for anything. And, <laughs> and it really opens up another world when you don't have to worry about being hung over in the morning. and You don't have to worry about being able to drive home. Um, I just feel like it's, it's unlocked like who I was meant to be. Mm-hmm. I love that. And no, like it, it's kind of a cover in a lot of ways, right? It, it's, yeah. a num- it's a numbing I guess. Um, yeah, totally. And I think we use various things for that, you know, to cover what's really going on in our lives without going into the the deep of, you know, are you an alcoholic? But, but if I, I like that you were framing it, if there's a doubt there, then maybe we should stop and, and inv- do some investigative work and look at self as to why um, I'm drinking so much. Yeah. That's real. Yeah, definitely. I think too, there's this phenomenon, I know this is true in um, the culture that I I grew up in, that um, there can be this pendulum swing, right? If we grow up in this culture that might be highly legalistic or highly black and white about and very focused on behavioral management and drinking mm-hmm. was a giant sin, and then you kind of grow up and it's like, oh, now you're kind of like, um, it's actually, you're, you're, you're expressing your freedom, to have a drink. And then there's so many people that swung the pendulum so far in in the spirit of expressing their freedom around this, that now they're in trouble. And um, have you seen that? Yeah. And, and just when you're even talking about that, it really makes me think a lot about just how drinking in women, how it's kind of become this, you know, solidarity and drinking like the boys thing, mm. right? That, mm. you know, you, you know, don't hold us back and we're, you know, we can, we can hold our own. And it's, it's, it's sort of become almost like this, 
women's liberation thing. Yeah. When independence. It's, when it's I'm independent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm independent. Yes. I can drink. Yeah. I'll do what I want, which mm-hmm. all that's fine and great. And again, have your wine. Like that's wonderful. But also there's also some consequences too. And I, I think you're right. When people embrace this, I can do this. I, you know, I have the freedom, I have the flexibility. Um, and yet, just the knowledge of, hey, also, this is an addictive substance. So I should also probably be careful with it. Um, it it's very nuanced, but I, I, I do think you're right. It's, this pendulum does swing, and it'll be interesting to see, again, coming out of this pandemic, you know, how's it going to go? People have been home and they've been alone. And now when everyone's let out into the wild, um, <laughs> is it going to be another roaring 20s? Mm-hmm. Like, are we, what are we going to see coming out yeah. of this? And and I don't think anybody knows, but, but I do think, um, I do think there were a lot of people who during the pandemic did realize, and, and I, we saw this and this is why I created Sober Mom Squad is who saw that, Hey, now I'm home. I stress level time with my kids and I'm drinking more. I really need to kind of wrap my arms around this, um, who kind of were sheltered and able to work on their relationship with alcohol at home. And so it'll be, it'll just be really interesting to see like what happens coming out of this, you know, how, mm-hmm. how is this going to affect everybody and mm-hmm. how are we going to behave? And it's, uh, it's like a huge social experiment right now. So true. It's exposed. It will expose a lot and it has exposed a lot. Right. And we'll, maybe yeah. the pendulum will swing all the way back at some point. We'll yeah. see. Yeah. Emily, if someone's listening right now and they're like, Ooh, I feel like I might need to take a step or do something in my relationship with alcohol. What's the first step? What's your suggestion? So the first thing I always recommend just because it's my favorite, um, it's my favorite book about alcohol. It's called this naked mind by Annie grace. Um, I don't get any royalties or kickbacks or like, I'm, I'm not associated with the book at all. I'm a certified this naked mind coach just because I believe in, in the methodology methodology so much. Um, it's information. It's non-judgmental, um, and you draw your own conclusions from it. It's really powerful. And again, it has all those things in there, like red wine is good for you, and why that actually is not true, and alcohol relaxes you, and why that's actually not true. And it just kind of takes you through um, the reality of alcohol and the reality of what it's doing to your body, so that you can mm. come away with it and go, hmm, you know, that is how I'm using it, or wow, that really is a problem. Or, you know, maybe I'm not going to drink as much or you can draw your own conclusions from it. And then from there, you can kind of say, again, when you go to those feelings, like, gosh, I I really am just drinking because I'm bored. You know, I'm going to find some other activities. Um, Just try and switch it up. Feel, you know, go to the feeling that you're feeling when you're grabbing a drink and see if you can deal with it in another way. And then if you can't, you know, it's worth talking to your doctor. It's worth talking to a therapist, um, a trusted friend. Um, but, but don't, um, don't stop talking until, you you know, there, there will be lots of people who are going to be totally willing to, um, just say, no, it's fine. You know, you drink as much as I do. It's fine. Um, so, so try and stay away from those people who will just justify you. Like, like don't ignore your intuition and keep talking until someone listens to you. That's so good. That's good. Mm-hmm. Okay, I have one more question. What if you have someone in your life where you're like, I feel like they might need to analyze their relationship with alcohol? And it's so hard because we can't force anyone to do anything. But what would you say if someone's in that situation? I would say that's really, really hard. Um, and you have to weigh, you really have to weigh the risks of 
you know, if I say something, maybe they're thinking the same thing too. Maybe they'll be really, really receptive to it. And you, you could, they could also say, um, say no, like you could be risking the relationship. Right. And, and I, I never want to say to someone else that that's worth it to them or not. I know that when I was in those couple of years of really questioning it and trying all the things and doing the rules and all the stuff, um, I didn't have anybody say to me, Hey, have you ever thought you had a problem or it seems like you're drinking too much? Um, cause I, I hit it really well for one, but I was kind of always waiting for someone to, mm. I feel like I would have been receptive to it. And I had one friend who, who I, you know, I towed the water a little bit and said, yeah, I wonder if I drink too much. And she suggested, Hey, why don't you go to an AA meeting sometime? It was just a passing comment, but I thought, huh, you know, maybe it is worse than I thought. Mm. And so I would say I would, I would so much rather um, offend someone than wish I would have said something. And so I always think, you know, again, I don't, I don't want to ever put this on anyone else or, or risk someone like losing a relationship, but it's that serious and it's that important. Um, even if just saying, Hey, have you ever thought maybe, you know, drinking a bottle of wine every night, maybe is not so good or, you know, and, and if, and if it comes back with defense, I mean, at least, at least you said something, um, that's, that's a really hard one because it, it really is hard to get someone help unless they want it. Mm-hmm. And we see this all the time with, you know, interventions and all these things. It, the, the person using the substance really needs to want to change. Mm-hmm. But again, a lot of times people are questioning their own use. So I always say it's worth, it's mm-hmm. worth talking. It's worth asking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's great. I'd, I'd love to know a little bit more if, about, um, or just tell the people listening a little more about um, Sober Mom Squad and what they can find in your community. Because I know there's so many good resources just right there in your community. So maybe talk a little bit about what kind of support people can find if they come your way. Yeah, for sure. So we have um, we have uh, just a free Facebook group you can find on Facebook and an Instagram account where we just kind of share quotes and um, resources. Um, the Facebook group, you can ask questions. Uh, we have a free meeting every Wednesday, 1 p.m. Pacific, um, like coming up in 15 minutes, um, where you can you can come on. You can be a fly on the wall if you want to. Uh, we have someone leading the meeting who, you know, reads something that might be sobriety-related, parenting-related, um, and then we open it up for shares. And you can share anything. It, it's open to all moms who are, um, you know, exploring an alcohol-free life. So you can share something relating to um, alcohol use, substance use, or just ask, you know, hey, how do you get a better Wi-Fi connection, you know, for homeschooling? It doesn't matter. And um, and you can also you can also just listen. Um, so we have that uh, free every week. And then we have an expanded uh, membership group where we have 25 meetings a week. Um, and, uh, and so you can have access to all those, you know, every day there's three or four meetings a week or a day. And then, um, we have an off Facebook community that's private just for people who aren't comfortable being on Facebook. Mm -hmm. Um, we have resources like, um, we have one-on-one coaching. Um, we have group coaching. Uh, we have certified coaches and counselors. We have, um, expert webinars and it's anything from, you know, any parenting topic. Like we had a, um, a baby sleep, uh, sleep experts. We've had, um, boundary conversations. We had a mom or a, uh, 
sex expert talking about relationships um, in sobriety. Uh, so anything really related mm. to um, parenting, recovery, health, um, anything that our members really request, wanting to know more about. Um, and then we have tons of other extras like, uh, you know, a podcast library and a Spotify recovery playlist with everyone's favorite uh, mm-hmm. recovery songs. Uh, and we just keep adding things as, again, it really came out of a need that came from the pandemic of, of women needing connection and needing questions answered. And so mm-hmm. as it's grown now, a year later, we just kind of continue to add things that our, our members ask for. That's awesome. incredible. Mm-hmm. Good work, Emily. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Emily, thanks so much for being with us. Man, what an important conversation and an important Mm -hmm. topic that so many moms are navigating right now. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you guys having me. Oh, man. That was such an enlightening conversation with Emily, right? So heavy. I was really surprised by some of the stats on how alcohol affects our health. Mm -hmm. I had never heard any of that data before. Mm -hmm. So that was all new to me. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious, Mm -hmm. was there anything surprising that you guys heard or that stood out to you? I thought it was interesting when she talked about um, what culture says about red wine, you know, Mm -hmm. that it relaxes you and and, you know, I need a glass of wine to wind down, realizing that it's doing the exact opposite. And then also glorifying like what wine does. I have a friend when she's tipsy, she's, she is fun to be around. Um, but we don't do that same thing when it's like a mean drunk, right? Or like um, someone who gets really loud when they're drinking, like, oh my gosh, stop drinking. So I think we need to check all of that, really. Totally. I even thought how yeah. she's talking about mommy wine culture and the narrative around it and what it's saying to moms, like this is too hard or you need something to help you manage all of this. You can't handle your own life. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was really interesting because I've never looked at it from the, that perspective before. It's always been like, oh, that's funny or silly or whatever. But there is that underlying narrative of, oh, you can't handle this. And so you need something, right? which I think is not a helpful message whatsoever. No. And we don't, we don't joke that way with other substances, right? Like, wow, he's so fun mm-hmm. when he does meth. I mean, it's, it's, that's, and what is that saying to our, to our kids? Right. You know? Right. I thought it was interesting yeah. and it totally makes sense, but just the idea and of, and of course coming out of the pandemic, how she emphasized boredom, mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. the need to do something mm-hmm. or the need to fill a space. And I think that it, I think healthy people do healthy things mm-hmm. and kind of back to Gary Chapman's interview of when you came into it, I think we've mentioned that reference that a few times is they probably already weren't healthy and then they got bored and then they moved right. to something that wasn't healthy right. and then it got away from them. Just kind of like how Emily said, she, she was in it and then she, it wasn't until it got so bad that she really realized she was in it. And um, I just thought it was interesting, the just healthy habits and how that may or may not affect someone's ability to, I guess, deal with it or get out of it. And I, I know I've heard people that are trying to quit smoking how they just have to have something in their hand. Yeah, Like it's less about the nicotine and more of just about the function of doing it mm-hmm. and how habitually we fall into those things. So it's even interesting just exploring new ways to fill up that time. And I think Emily gave us a, a few options, but yeah. it's, it's crazy how just even something like boredom can mm-hmm. cause something like that. Mm-hmm. And can, were y'all shocked by the percentage? 
Oh, it's it's crazy. Very shocking. Yeah. 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 79%, right? But uh, follows on what I really stood out to me about what she said is that um, don't be surprised. And even it's not your fault when you get addicted to a substance that was that is addicting. Mm-hmm. Like just reminding ourselves that this this is an a, addictive by nature, and that um, you know she said it's not your fault if you find that you've developed an addiction to this because that's the whole point. And I, I thought that was an important message because I think people sometimes they're developing like I th- thought you lo- used a good word, Matt. Like it's habitual. They're developing a habitual pattern in their life, and um, they don't want to talk about it because they feel shame around it. Right. And so for her to kind of say, yeah, that's what it's meant to do. And, um, you know, let's get help instead of, instead of shaming ourselves and feeling bad that we got addicted to this thing that was meant to be addictive. It's also like a little bit of a wake up call. It's not to meant to just be the sexy thing in your hand. It's meant it'll ultimately ensnare you if it it can ultimately ensnare Mm -hmm. you. So Mm -hmm. I thought that was helpful. I also loved how she, she talked about how we can talk about our, to our kids about it. And like your kids don't need to grow up with the assumption that the day they turn 21, they have to start drinking. Right. That was all, that whole part of the conversation was helpful to me. Mm -hmm. I'm curious what, what kind of narratives around alcohol were normal in your families growing up? So for me, I had a family member who I saw drinking too much, even when I was little. And I remember watching this person and thinking, I am never going to put myself in this situation. I'm never going to act embarrassing. I don't want to embarrass myself or the people around me. And so that really informed some of the early narratives that I had around alcohol, watching people overdo it and then saying, I'm never going to be like that. But I'm curious, what what was that like for you guys? Yeah, that's good, Mandy. Um, for me, very similar. I mean, I, I rarely drink um, and it is connected to my childhood. My stepfather was a raging alcoholic. And so um, the moment he had a drop of alcohol in his system, he was a different person. Um, and, and opposite of that, when he wasn't drinking, he was very lovely to be around. Um, and so it it affected our entire household, for sure. Um, I remember even going to some of his AA meetings and understanding really alcoholism and that it, you know, can sometimes be something, you know, it's not like, oh, I'm not going to eat you know, sugar, you know, sure. If it's an addiction, but alcohol is, I mean, that's in, that's in your system. You know, it is, it's like quitting smoking. It's quitting, you know, and it, it took some time and, um, you know, there were several months he would be off and, and get back on. And, and again, the entire house was tense because of it. So it's, is directly connected to, um, my view on alcohol today. What was that like being at an AA meeting with him? Like, were you a child? Yeah, I was, I was a teenager. It was interesting. Um, I've been able to go to a few of those um, with another friend of mine who had an addiction to a substance. And they're interesting. You know, it's, I think we have this, this, you know, falsity of like what people look like who are alcoholics and, and addicted to drugs and they look just like you and me, you know, I mean, they're not, um, they're normal people. They just have an addiction which I think we all have a version of one. And, uh, it was interesting. It was cool to learn and, um, you know, meet people who really just have this day-to-day struggle and how they really want, they don't want the struggle. They don't, Mm -hmm. they don't want it, you know, and Mm -hmm. if they would do anything to get off of it. And, um, so I, I have a a huge respect for that. Um, Mm -hmm. and the, the, 
what it takes, you know, that day one to day five to the first month, second month, year of sobriety is huge. It really is. I have so much admiration for AA Mm -hmm. and I just think it is such an incredible program. My best, Mm -hmm. one of my best friends from growing up has been a part of AA for a really long time. And this sounds like so asinine, but I was like, I want to go to AA because the community is incredible. And the work that you do, Mm -hmm. analyzing and and working through all of your own trauma and your own things that have contributed, Mm -hmm. you know, to get you where you are at, that point in life is so beneficial that I think we all would benefit from that experience of walking through the 12 steps. And so I just am a huge fan of AA and think it's such a gift to humanity. One of the things, and I said this in our conversation with Emily, but one of the things I love so much about what she's doing is her tagline for women who are questioning their relationship with alcohol. And I love that because it's very accessible. It's like if you're questioning this relationship and who of us are not at any time in our life questioning our relationship with a lot of different things, our schedule, um, our work ethic or our overworking, our addiction to our phones and screen time, um, our parenting. And I think sometimes as we allow ourselves to question our relationships with some things that um, maybe we are serving that are no longer serving us, as you said, Mandy, that's so well said. It's like, I remember there was a time in my life where I was doing a lot of people pleasing and I was trying to avoid conflict because I don't love conflict and I hope I've grown in it. But at this time in my life, it was just, I was averse. I mean, it like gave me the hives and I was doing a lot of just kind of co-signing and agreeing with behavior I didn't agree with, let's say, or um, yeah, just sort of going along with the flow. And I kept hearing this voice in my head and you know, I'll say, I will attribute this voice to the voice of God, Leanna, burn it down. Mm. Every single time I would like, yeah, okay, all right. You know, this little weakling voice that was not Mm. my strong, true Mm -hmm. voice. Um, Okay, that's all right. Yeah, let's do that. I just would hear this in my ear, burn it down. And there came a time in my life where some of that behavior did need to be burned down in order for me to be a healthy, integrated person. And so um, I guess just one of the messages we want to leave you guys with is if there's something in your life that you're questioning that is not serving you, that is disrupting the kind of person you want to be, that's not in line with your gut and who God created you to be, you can burn it down. You can burn down that behavior. You can begin again, and you can get the support you need to make that happen. And um, so we just, we want to make sure that, you know, you have the permission to burn it down. Even if every movie you see makes it look sexy, even if every one of your friends is doing it, if you need to burn it down because it's no longer serving you, you have our permission and our support to do that. That's right. Such an important... Burn it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. That's powerful. Yeah. Burn the fields. That's right. Well, you guys, thanks for joining us today. One thing that I'm taking away from this conversation is that bringing our secrets into the light is always the best way to live, period. Mm -hmm. And that if there's something in our life that isn't serving us, like Leanna just said, then today's a great day to burn it down. And if any of this conversation in this episode resonated with you and you want to explore more about the topic, make sure to check out the Sober Mom Squad on Facebook or on their website. And you can find links in the show notes of this episode. Also, if you like listening to the Moms Unscripted podcast, we'd love for you to hop on and share a review. We'd so appreciate it. And to wrap up, let's leave everyone with Elaine's words. Stay with your buddy. Don't drink the punch. And remember who you are. All right. Thanks, friends. (laughs) 
Hey friends, thank you for joining us for Moms Unscripted, a production of Mops International. A quick reminder that opinions discussed are solely the opinions of the individuals and do not necessarily represent the organization. For more information on today's episode, please visit mops.org backslash moms unscripted podcast for show notes. And join us again next week for another unscripted conversation around the Mops table.